Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, often called the fifth gospel, such as its importance and magnificence, magnificence in the Bible. And I described it as this great mountain top right at the heart of the Bible. And we're spending nine weeks, nine Sundays, going through these 66 chapters, so these nine summits that, you know, up to the top in this breathtaking view of God and his plans and purposes for the world. Now, today, we're in chapter six where the prophet Isaiah gets this vision into the very throne room of heaven and gets to see God as he really is in all his holiness and grace and and transforming power. And, And God wants us to share in that vision and experience this afternoon. In the same way, Isaiah was transformed, he wants us to be transformed. Notice just straight off the bat on page 691, when this vision takes place in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. Okay, this is really significant because those opening five chapters, the introduction to the book, they were very high level. Now we're rooted very firmly in history, 740 B.C., And you can read about King Isaiah in 2 Chronicles 26, his death. It was a time of national crisis, of cultural decline. And spiritually speaking, if you just glance up to verse 30 of chapter 6, where the intro ended, look at how dark this is. If one looks at the land, the land of Israel, God's people, there is only darkness and distress. Even the sun will be darkened by clouds. There is despair, there is darkness, there is distress. And it is into this darkness that the light of this vision shines. Now, I don't know how you are as you're coming to church this afternoon. I'm not sure if you'd describe your life right now as only darkness, only distress. I hope not. But life can be up and down. This time of year, the long days, the cold nights, can be a pretty depressing time of year. It's often not all plain sailing in the Christian life. Often we can feel our hearts, they're prone to wander from the Lord. Maybe you come here this afternoon, you feel your heart's a little bit cold. You have your foot and and feet in two camps. What do you do? Perhaps some of you are particularly distressed right now about all that's going on in the Church of England. Synod meeting this week. This really important discussion happening with the House of Bishops around the living in love and faith process. And you're thinking, how's it even come to this? What's this mean for the future of the church? What's it mean for this church? Perhaps you look more widely at the nation at large, and you see it increasingly turning its back on God, and in that sense there is the spiritual decline, cultural decline, and you read of British gas debt collectors forcing themselves into vulnerable people's home and fitting these prepayment meters, and you're thinking, what is going on in this world? Where is it all heading to? And where is real hope and transformation and change to be found? I put it to you that the first step is a deeper, clearer vision of who God really is. To have the same sight and vision that Isaiah himself has and to be radically transformed by it. So that's where we're going. Come with me now to to Isaiah chapter 6. First of all, a vision of God's holiness. Okay, this is verses 1 to 4. And as I read these verses out, I'll, I'll try and read them slowly. 
As best as you can, try and put yourself in Isaiah's shoes and try and feel the all-sensory force and power of what is going on here, okay? So, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, angelic beings, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, what was that like? As you're imagining yourself in Isaiah's shoes. I mean, here is Isaiah, right? How many times has he been to the temple? He's, he worships the Lord there. Perhaps a little bit like we're coming to church each Sunday to worship the Lord. And yet this particular Sunday, something extraordinary and spectacular and unique happens and the curtain between Heaven and earth is lifted for Isaiah. And suddenly he sees into the throne room of heaven and he sees the Lord high and exalted. So high Isaiah has to crane his neck and sees him up there seated on his throne. And so King Isaiah has died because human leaders, they come and go. Nations rise and fall. It can be a time of uncertainty, instability. But no, the Lord is enthroned utterly secure. The, the, just the hem of his robe fills the whole temple as Isaiah is looking up here. Symbolic of God's authority over the whole universe from the tiniest quark to the largest galaxy. Nothing outside his control. And suddenly Isaiah, as he's looking up and he gets this vision, this song of praise begins to fill his ears. Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty. This is the only time in the Old Testament that an adjective is used three times in a row as a description for God. Here, the very essence of who he is. Holy, the adjective. Holier, we would say. Holy, yes, but all three together. And that God's holiness speaks of his otherness. His separatenessness from us, from the rest of his creation, not just as moral purity and perfection and majesty and awe, but across all his attributes and every attribute. He's, he, God's not just a bigger and better version of us. He's completely other. He's infinitely other, dwelling in eternity, holy in love, holy in justice, holy in compassion, holy in power, holy in patience, holy in wisdom, holy in his holiness. And he's seeing it and he's, he's seeing, this is who you really are. And then these angelic beings... So in awe are they of the Lord, rightly, so reverent before him, humble. They're, they're covering their, their feet, their faces and their feet from head to toe. And at this point, as the Lord's holy presence is drawing near for Isaiah, he begins to feel his, his whole body quaking as the temple shakes. And the smoke fills his nostrils whenever God draws near Mount Sinai. The spirit at Pentecost are shaking. God's holy 
presence coming near. Now, are you getting any of this? I know it's Sunday afternoon. Are you feeling some of it? This is a vision of who God really is. How does that compare to your vision of God? You think of God, what comes into your mind. Sometimes you think God's distant. He is right here. If you were to draw back the curtain now between this world, the spiritual world, heaven and earth, you would see him in all his glory and majesty. Do you think to yourself, my goodness, this world just seems to be spiraling out of control, history just repeating itself, my life spiraling out of control. The Lord is seated on the throne forever, ruling eternally, working out his good plans and purposes for the universe and your life if you're one of his people. Do you ever think to yourself, you know, when I like to think of God, I like to think of someone like, be very careful. That is a God of your own imagination. That is a God of your own making. That is a God that can never challenge you, change you, move you. Because that is a God that will only ever fit into your own preconceived ideas of what God should be like. Can only affirm you in your beliefs and desires, whatever they are in any current space of time. God is holy, way beyond our imagination, infinitely other, infinitely separate from us. You want to know what love really is? You look to him, holy in love. You want to know what justice really is, what wisdom really is? It's all in him. He is the definition of truth and goodness and beauty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Is that your God? Is that the God of the Bible? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard the word holy, came across the word holy, I was quite put off by it because we have that phrase in common parlance, like holier than thou, right? For people who are self-righteous and self-satisfied and smug, and I think, well, God's holy, holy. God is nothing like that. Think moral perfection. Think infinite beauty. Everything that makes you think of God being high and exalted, majestic and awesome in the true sense of the word, in him there is no darkness at all. Do you see God? Are you beginning to get more of a deeper glimpse and sight of what our God is really like? Well, look, that leads on secondly in verses 5 to 7 from this vision of God's holiness to this profound experience of God's grace, his cleansing grace. Because notice how Isaiah responds to this vision of the holiness of God, God's holy presence drawing near. How does he respond? How do you think you would respond? Isaiah says, woe to me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Okay, this is in the year that King Isaiah died. We know from chapter 1, verse 1, that Isaiah was prophesying during the reigns of Isaiah. This is not his call. He's already been ministering. He's already been coming to the temple, loads to worship. He's probably taught about the holiness of God, preached on it, but it seems for the very first time he gets this deep conviction of sin that shakes him to the core. 
and getting this true vision of who God's really like and all his holiness, he goes, woe to me. I am not worthy to worship you. I am ruined. I mean, that's what my sin deserves. As I see you holy in love, your infinite perfect love, I recognize even more how unloving and selfish and self-absorbed I am if we went through each of the other characters of God. You see more and more of this, oh my goodness, how unclean am I? Have you ever had that experience, that conviction of sin? That feeling of unworthiness before a holy God that we all have by nature, naturally? I'm not sure if you've ever you know, got too close to the platform edge right when the tube has come clattering in. You're like, oh my goodness me. Or you know, being at a high mountain or building, you've peered over the edge, you know, that stomach churning, you quickly go back. Looked up at the sun just a bit too long, it begins to burn your retina. These are all little, little pictures of what it is like when any sinful human being by nature approaches the holy presence of God. It's like, oh my goodness, that is what goodness and truth and beauty is, and I fall so far short. Woe to me, I am ruined. Have you ever cried out anything like that in your walk with the Lord? Shaken to the core, being overawed, recognizing by nature the spiritual danger we are all in because of our sin before a holy God. Look, if you are beginning to feel that at all, some of that weight and burden of our unworthiness, the guilt of sin, look what immediately happens to Isaiah in verses 6 to 7. As soon as he cries out, as soon as he recognizes his unworthiness, immediately verse 6, this is Isaiah speaking, one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar of sacrifice. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Do you see this profound experience of God's cleansing, forgiving grace? Okay, the seraphim, literally burning one. Okay, it's not picking up the, the coal with a tongue because it's hot. The seraphim itself is like, burning and hot all the time. It's picking up the live coal from the altar with, with the tongue because it's holy. And as he brings the live coal to Isaiah's lips, and you imagine, my goodness, that's going to hurt. It doesn't hurt. It heals him. And just like that, all his guilt is taken away and his sin atoned for. All that separates him from God, dealt with. His relationship with God restored forever. A conviction of sin that leads to this deeper appreciation of the grace of God. Now look, here's what's happening. Often when people become a Christian, and I speak for myself here, I had an idea when I became a Christian, oh yeah, no, God's different to me, God's holy, God's great, he, he made the world, um, so he's, he's a bit, he's, he's higher, high and exalted. And whoa, now for the first time, I, I see how I fall short and I'm not like God and, and I'm sinful and I'm unworthy. And oh, wow, God has, God has bridged the gap and he loves me. And, that, and that's what grace means. I don't deserve to be forgiven and yet he, he does it, wow. But as the Lord opens your eyes to see him in, in a deeper way, 
And he wants to grow you. He wants to do a deeper work in you. He wants to open your eyes through the vision like this in Isaiah chapter 6 to see, oh my goodness, that's how holy he is. That's how infinite and exalted and high and amazing and majestic and so far up my hand and arm, it can't get there, right? This is, this is not good enough. It's up through the... And then as you see the holiness of God, so, oh my goodness, woe is me. I'm that unworthy. I fall that short. I'm that undeserving. And now look at the gap between God and us. And oh my goodness, he loves me that much and done that much for me through grace. Do you see this deep conviction of sin that then leads to a deeper appreciation for the grace of God? That's what God is calling us to. That's what God's calling you to. Whether you're new to the Christian faith or been following Jesus for years, to go deeper with him where Christ-like transformation happens. It is so important that we keep these things two together, the conviction of sin and the transforming grace of God. Because if you focus only on the conviction of sin and the holiness of God, you will end up just despairing. Woe is me. I'm ruined. The darkness and distress that God's people were left in in chapter 5, that's how we would be left if we're just there. But now in chapter 6, we're seeing what God will do through the conviction of sin. To bring us an experience of his grace, his mercy, his love. And bringing his people back to him. On the flip side, often people don't like to talk about sin. Don't like to talk about judgment. Don't like to talk about the conviction of sin. Don't like to talk about being unworthy. Any human being unworthy before God. I mean, who likes to talk about that by nature? But unless we do, and we see just how sinful, how ruined by nature, and what, unless we do, we will never fully grasp just what God has done for us in atoning for sin, in wiping away our guilt, in drawing us back to him so that we can have relationship with him and can know his love and acceptance and forgiveness and cleansing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Very famous song, Amazing Grace, how sweet. Do those words ring true for you? Are they, are they sweet to your sound, a sound for you? When you hear about God's grace, do you think, yeah, that warms my heart, that puts a spring in my step? And if it doesn't, if it not at all, there's nothing there for you, Maybe it's the case you are yet to see who God, the God of the Bible, really is in all his holiness and therefore conviction of sin, but in the true grace of God. But for those who do know this grace of God, just see how it transforms Isaiah in the rest of the chapter, verses 8 to 13. This is the last thing we're going to see. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You know, what's so wonderful and beautiful about the grace of God when you truly grasp it and experience it? Not only does it humble you, as we've just seen, woe is me, we're all sinful before a holy God, and who doesn't like a humble person? who's quick to admit when they're wrong, quick to forgive, there's no pride or arrogance there. Not only does the grace of God humble you, 
but it also gives you a confidence. Send me. Here I am. And it gives us that confidence because, well, there's no fear of failure now because we already recognize how much of a failure you are. I'm ruined. And yet God loves us and accepts us regardless. And so it gives us this humble confidence to be sent wherever God wants us to go, to be commissioned wherever he wants to send us. And just look, by the way, at the message that Isaiah is given by God to send to the people. Did you notice this when the reading was, came out? Let me, let me just repeat it to you. Imagine being asked by God to preach like this and to know that this was going to be the response. Uh, verse 9, he said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn to be healed. <laughs> That's not one of the hardest tasks ever given to an Old Testament prophet. Off you go, Isaiah. Preach about the holiness of God, and no one's going to understand a word you say. You can be as clear as you like, winsome as you like, apologetic as you like. <laughs> Here is I going to be speaking about the conviction of sin, the reality of the grace of God. And it's just going to fall completely on deaf ears. Now, how, what would your response be if God told you to do that? I mean, does I say, oh my goodness, send someone else, please? I don't want to be rejected over and over like that. He says, how long, Lord? Just set my expectations straight here. And God says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land... It will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. I mean, what a message of judgment this is. Judgment, judgment, judgment on God's people for their sin and rebellion that we saw last week in chapter 1. Judgment, judgment, 90% judgment such that even 10% of God's people are left. Even they, that's going to get laid waste. And the exile comes. And Babylon come in and take them all away. And yet, even in this darkest moment, when things are at their worst, when there is distress, and God, there is still, did you notice, this glimmer of hope. This holy seed which in the wider Bible story finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, who 2,000 years ago was born into this world. What did they say of Jesus? The Apostle Peter, Acts chapter 3, the holy and righteous one. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, who whilst he was on earth, would touch people, or cleanse people, I should say, like the leper with just a touch, but he didn't put a live coal right on their lips to atone for their sin as the sacrifice. Jesus himself was the sacrifice. At the end of his life, he is dying on the cross for you and for me to bear the guilt of our sin. Do you know how Matthew, in his gospel, describes what happened when Jesus dies? The curtain of the temple is ripped in two from top to bottom, and then the earth shakes as the holiness of God meets sinful humanity and atonement is made as Jesus willingly pours out his life and dies in our place so we can be forgiven and accepted and loved. We might never get a vision like this. 
You might come to church every Sunday for the rest of your life. You'll never have that curtain pulled back. But don't worry, you've got something far greater, far more glorious. We have Jesus Christ who has died for us in history. And as you look at Jesus and you see him dying on the cross for you, it humbles you because you recognize, my goodness, my sin, I'm not worthy. Woe is me, I'm ruined. But then the death of Jesus can give you a confidence like no other because no matter how much of a failure we are and how much we get things wrong, God says, I still love you. I still accept you. I still forgive you. Now, get up, let's go. I'm sending you out to share my message with everyone I put in your life. Here's the message of the gospel. Here's the good news about Jesus. Do you know him? Not just know about him. Do you know him personally? Do you know him intimately? Do you know him as this holy God? Do you know his forgiveness and his grace? Do you know this humility, this confidence? This is what God wants for you today. You just need to come to him. Say, woe is me. Cleanse me. Change me. Transform me. And so look, if there is darkness in your heart right now and you know full well about it, you bring it in here today and you feel your heart is cold and you've got those feet in two camps and you don't know what to do, ask the Lord for a clearer vision of him as he really is in all his holiness. Ask him to convict you of your sin. Ask the Spirit to search your heart. And as he does that, know the cleansing, forgiving, accepting grace of the Lord and just how much he really loves you. What should we pray for these bishops in the Church of England this Wednesday? Here's one thing you can pray for them. Pray for a deeper clarity, a vision of who God really is in all his holiness. He is the definition of right and good and truth and beauty. He's revealed himself to us here in Jesus. He's told us what marriage is about, what sexuality is about, what sex is for. Ask that they would have humble confidence to stand firm in the truth about God and his word. And as you look out at the darkness and the nation around us, insofar as you think it's there, insofar as you see spiritual decline, national decline, cultural decline, you're thinking, where is transformation going to come from? Where is change going to come from? Where is hope to be found? It's always going to start here. With a deep conviction of sin, before the holiness of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and then a transforming grace. That is where, that's the only place where true inner transformation in character can be found. And it will change you, and it will change us as a church, this city, this nation, and this world. So let me pray for the eyes of our heart to be open to see God as he really is. Let me pray that for us now. Father God, we thank and praise you for this next summit in the book of Isaiah. That's wonderful vision and experience that you graciously give to Isaiah. And I pray you'd open the eyes of each of our hearts, wherever we're coming from today, to see you as you really are in all your holiness and perfection and glory and majesty. And Lord, as you convict us of our sin by your Holy Spirit, that we'd not separate the grace of God, or we'd know that you do that to bring us back to you. So please reassure us of our acceptance your love, your forgiveness, how we're included, would we be humble and confident as you now send us out to live for you afresh in the week ahead and to share you with those you put in our lives. 
And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.